a lot. Okay, there. That's good. Good? Yeah. Just don't, like, scream into the mic. <laughs> I don't think you'd scream. Uh, I, will, a ghost I will attempt to refrain from screaming into the microphone. <laughs> this time, no promises for the future, though. Can okay. we agree on that? Yeah, we Is can it a agree. good base level? Yeah. Hey everyone, this is Kenzie. And this is Adara. And we are coming to you from the down low, which is Adara's basement apartment. <laughs> and we have a story for you today. Yeah. We're talking about Colburn Lodge. Uh-huh. And do you have something to tell me, Adara? I do have I have lots of things to tell you. Okay. Which most of which you already know because you've yes. you've covered this story for yeah. school. Yeah, for you guys don't know, I am in a journalism program. So this was yeah. One of the stories I covered, because of course I've always been interested in ghosts and stuff like that, so of course for my feature story I do a whole thing on the paranormal I mean, <laughs> Toronto. why not? No why like hard hitting news piece, just like, you know, old time history stuff. Okay, so I just want to say, um, what we're going to be doing is not only looking at the ghosts themselves, but we're also looking into the histories, which means looking into everything that's around them. So if you're listening to an episode and you're thinking, oh, why does this not have anything to do with the ghost? That's why. We want to know everything that led up to the ghost. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of factors that can play into these kinds of things. And it's the good to know the whole story. And, yeah, you yeah, gotta in know. Order to understand. Gotta know the roots to know where the legend kind of comes from. So this is gonna, this episode will have a little bit of a different format to the future. Um, not that any listeners care at this point. Um, no one just, cares. Just glad you're listening. God, Kenzie. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, yeah, so we're gonna tell the story together. All right. Okay. Um, but, like, I'll start, obviously. You pitch in with information as we go, as we go along. Okay, I'll try, I'll try. Right, we'll try is... not to have any, like, awkward silences or anything like that. I we'll mean, just... we'll, we'll try. But yeah. the, the beauty of a podcast means that they can be cut out. Maybe we should just have one episode where it's just all, it's the, just awkward all the awkward silences <laughs> edited together. <laughs> it's just an hour of silence. <laughs> Uncomfortable sniffling. And so that you know what you know what that can be is like the entry level perk for Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> donate a dollar, you, you get an hour of silence, <laughs> or just an hour of us laughing so hard that we're just breathing. Yeah, really hard. <laughs> just a whole a whole episode of wheezing. Seriously, that'd, that'd be great. All right, so Colburn Lodge was. Mm-hmm. Not named after the man who built it. Sir John Colburn, who was the lieutenant governor of Upper Canada from 1828 to 1836. And from what I can tell, I don't have any information on him in front of me, but I did do a little bit of research into him. He was a pretty badass dude. Oh, really? Kind of cool, yeah. We could probably do an entire episode just on him, but he's not a ghost, so we're gonna let him be. I mean, he is. He's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you have to do the man like that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, the house was built by John Howard, who mm-hmm. is our mm-hmm. man of the hour. Uh, so Howard was actually a teaching master at Upper Canada College, which was also founded yes. by Colburn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons that Howard named the lodge after Sir John Colburn, because right. Colburn was 
um, one of the first uh, people to support Howard's architectural work in the city of Toronto. Yes. He yeah. admired him. He really admired him. He was a full-on kiss-up. You know? He was yeah. able to make things out of nothing. Right. You know, okay. Kind of thing. Yeah. So, they did have, like, a... Uh, a fireplace in their thing, and normally richer houses back then had full-on stone fireplaces, but mm-hmm. they couldn't afford it, so he actually made it out of wood, mm-hmm. but made it look like a stone fireplace, so you could touch it, and it was all wood, but it was like... But it looked like looked stone? like stone. It was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, he had a toilet hidden behind a secret door, because Ooh, he back liked then, doors. you couldn't, like, shit in your house, because then people were like, oh, that's so improper, I <laughs> how, guess... How dare you? I guess I should just... Go outside, then. <laughs> the outhouse is much cleaner than putting pooping in my house. You know, like, they were, like, totally against it. So, like, Bury the wallpaper like was covering it. Right. And you would and you would go, and they actually had a shower and everything, too, which the maid would pour from upstairs all the water Ooh. and, like, pour, and it would go down. Man. So, you know, like, that's tough God, work. being a maid back then would have been so hard. I'd say definitely... Walking into the house, and especially even getting on the property, Mm -hmm. the energy just changed immediately. Like, it was... It wasn't entirely negative, it's just the air got thicker, Mm -hmm. it just... It felt like there was just this weight down on my shoulders, and I was like, oh, fuck, there's totally something here. (laughs) Like, I I knew as soon as I passed that tree that there was something... Especially, you know, the graveyard is right in front of their house. Right, Like, their whole tombstone, they're buried together... Yeah, and the tomb is in view of the window. Oh, yeah. Right, so which will, something that we'll get to later, but... Yeah. It's, yeah. Howard used to uh, plant rose bushes on her gra- on the grave of Jemima Howard, mm-hmm. who is the subject of this. Yeah. She oh, did we mention there. that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did we mention that? John Howard is not there, guys. No, 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 no. It's um, not John. It's, who knows? it's Jemima, which is something that I want to talk about later, too, but we're going to we're gonna talk about... It's not the maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, What? Did you know like Jemima's table syrup? Oh yeah. It's like what just happened? <laughs> Why are we all of a sudden talking about maple syrup? I mean I mean is it maple syrup though? It's like I don't think it is. Before we get to Jemima, mm-hmm. let's talk about John. He uh was born not John Howard. No, no he, was he was not John Corby. He was, he was. And he changed that because yeah. of the the Corby is a uh, lower class. Very lower class name. Yeah. And he went here and he changed it because he, he wanted, he was becoming Toronto's first architect, by the way. Yeah. He was the first architect. And he, coming there, he just, he wanted people to know him as someone that came from a more wealthier background. He insisted he came from, uh, who was it? Was it a lord? Yeah. Was... Um, he claimed that he was a direct descendant of Thomas Howard, who yes. was the fourth Duke of Norfolk in the 17th yeah. He's century. Like, my parents are not my parents. Yeah. <laughs> I come from, like, that's everyone's wish. It's like, my parents are not my parents. I'm actually from a castle far, far yeah. away. And yeah. I'm so rich. I'm so rich, but I just don't have the money. Honestly, same though. <laughs> So he was born John Corby on July 27th, 1803. He's a Leo Libra rising. I looked it up. Of course he did. Um, one of seven children. That means he is the literal middle child, which is never a good thing. No. The middle child never goes well. Because if he became an architect, he'd be fine. He's fine. Mm-hmm. So he lied about his birth. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and he and Jemima, his wife, immigrated mm-hmm. to Canada in 1832. Yes. Yep. Where he changed his name. And he kept a mistress. Yeah. 
He did keep a mistress, everybody. Yeah, he had a mistress. Don't they all? <laughs> he had kids with his mistress. He did. He did. He had kids with his mistress, but he didn't even, he didn't acknowledge them publicly. No. No. No, so they didn't. A Toronto woman. They wouldn't have inherited anything. They did. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah, he would, he would send them money and stuff like that. But uh, did they inherit after his death? Probably not, not, because sure. he didn't announce them, right? No. He did not announce them as his actual children, but he did support them. Yeah. 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 He's an okay guy. Yeah. Yeah. There is a shit ton in John Howard when you look him up. Like, you can find tons of information on him, and of course his journals are available. Mm -hmm. You look, you look through them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you go to look up Jemima, who is the focus of our story today, you can't find... No, there's not very much. Anything. No. Like, so all we know about her, um, I believe, is what we get from his journals, right? Mostly? Um, so when I was taken through the house, they did tell me a little bit about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I focused my main story around her instead of around him. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, the women back then, they weren't really focused on. But the thing is, is that yeah. John Howard and Jemima were kind of different than normal Victorian families. They didn't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, Jemima was actually an educated one. She came from a higher class family. Um, back, I think she's Scottish. She was yes. from Scotland. Yeah. Um, so she was actually, she kept the books for him. She did, she actually helped him a lot with his work, mm-hmm. which was <clears throat> different for, like, women back then. Um, for those of you that don't know, there is a park called High Park in Toronto. It is actually the place where Colburn Lodge sits, and it's where, uh, John Howard actually made the park, and Jemima named it. Mm -hmm. And she named it because they, their house kind of sits up atop the hill, looking across the water, Mm -hmm. and so they named it that because it's, you know, high. High ground. (laughs) High Park. Yep. Stuff like that. So, she was a very educated woman. Um, She... Couldn't come up with a better name than High Park, though. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I guess they just kind of want to be, like, above everything. I don't know. Well, it's actually... uh, Okay, nerding out. It's actually part of the style of architecture that they built Colburn Lodge in. Mm. It's an aspect of that style. So, it's the Regency style. Oh, okay. um, Which liked to have um, homes in locations where there's a good view of the landscape. So that was part of that. They had an excellent view of Lake Ontario at the time. Mm -hmm. So Jemima Howard, um, like we said, other than what you just said, we don't really know a lot about her, but Mm -hmm. we do know that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. It wasn't a good situation. I can't imagine. I mean, breast cancer now with Mm -hmm. our medication um, is bad enough. I can't imagine what it would have been like back then. So, Adriana, one of the historical interpreters and tour guides at Colburn Lodge, took me up to the top floor where Jemima's room was, and she told me Jemima's story and what her life was like when she was sick. This used to be the master guest room until she fell ill. Uh, So it would be quite posh in here with the wallpaper and such like that. Um, And then in the 1870s, in her 70s even, uh, they move her here permanently so that she can have her own comfort. Okay. Uh, because with breast cancer, just like today, we don't know how to cure it. Yeah. So they try everything. And she does get diagnosed in Canada. Uh, there are mastectomies, and breast cancer is a term that's already being used. Okay. Um, but John is a stubborn man, 
and he draws, because he's an artist, yeah. he draws the lesion on her breast and sends it over to England for another opinion. So even in Victorian times, yeah. they were like, no, no, I want to hear from another doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always get a second opinion. Right. Um, but she was, unfortunately, um, most definitely diagnosed with breast cancer. And so she spent a lot of her time here. And we have a day bed for the nurse, okay. right? Whoever's looking after her. Oh. Um, but we also have uh, hard drugs that are available at this time. Uh, things like opiates, laudanum, cocaine, heroin. So right. <laughs> you know exactly what yeah. that's about. Yeah. <laughs> so we may be suppressing the pain in her chest, but what are we doing to her mind? Yeah, kind of messing her up. So she's a little messed up. First off... They pad the door, and the padding has gone down over years, but we have like a little bit of a repro one, so that when she does have a little yeah. bit of a freak out, yeah. um, that we've locked her in, and she has a panic attack, yeah. right? And that she actually is not having a great time. So wow. that's not good. That instigates her into, uh, it makes her irritable. So I'm they would be. lock her in? There was a time that that was the best action because even nurses need to go pee, even nurses need to eat, and even nurses need to sleep. Yeah. Right? So they need to leave her unattended for a moment. It's not a Jane Eyre novel, but again, interpreting history. Yeah. So then you'll notice the second door. Okay. The second door is different. There's no doorknob. There's a wall. And so instead of locking her in, she's pretty much bedridden in those last years. Um... We do, we do have uh, some, some of the letters and diaries that uh, talk about her going into the park and getting lost and them having to go rescue her. So again, okay. when we can't be watching Jemima, we're going to have to do something about that. Okay. So the second door, again, interpreting history, it's not walled in. Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, she can hear, she can smell, she can be a part of the house. This door can remain open. But more importantly, if she is in pain, she can call out and be heard. Meanwhile, that door can be locked for her safety. Oh, okay. So she's not going to go into the park, right? She's not just going to, on a whim, leave without an escort. Uh, Plus, her nurses are right there, right? The people who are going to look after her. Um, So that doorknob is not there because it is just meant for locking. And it is there in a sense of, uh, we can't be here with her. Mm -hmm. We need to leave her alone for a moment. And that the punishment and the, and the cruelty of locking a door that is in so many Victorian novels, like I think of Jane Eyre, right? Yeah. Locking your, your wife up in the attic or whatever. Yeah. It's not uncommon in this time period. So much yeah. and taboo, which we are still trying to get through today. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was seen to be uh, more humane to keep your family at home with a mental illness rather than give them to the lunatic asylum. Yeah. Um, because unfortunately, a lot of our... Um, superstitions and a lot of our um, hang-ups and how we built that stigma and taboo around mental health there are grains of truth like even the uh, the provincial lunatic asylum that John helped build like he designed it um, the first couple years was wrought with horror stories Um, they didn't get the sewage and the drainage right so all of the uh, fantastic uh, refuse was being collected in the basement mm-hmm. for like three years and that's disgusting and that is going to give you a level of like hygienics and not only that but like the mental yeah. of that um, but you know people people would be uh, just given alcohol 
right? And not any kind of like medication or um, exercise or um, uh, ability to be outside because they needed to be inside and locked away. Even like if you look over to England in Bedlam, people would buy tickets to go and see the crazy people. It's a sad fact of our history, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So no wonder we have so much baggage with what mental health and mental illness is to us because we're fighting through hundreds of years of mistreatment. Mm -hmm. And so it is seen that keeping somebody at home is going to keep them safer. Um, Plus also you can keep it private. She well, die in that room? Yes. So you know, guys, <laughs> dying in a room pretty tragically and pretty upset is not... It's, it's kind of the recipe for a ghost, you know? Um, so in here, the ghost story goes that she sits at the window and she looks out into her high park. And we have a police report that uh, saw somebody in the in the room. And before electricity, this was a part of a police beat. So they had to come in and check, make sure the doors were locked, make sure that there was no force entry. Um, it was a place that you needed to check in on. And so when somebody saw, one of the police officers saw uh, a figure at the window, they had to come and investigate and there was nobody here. Mm-hmm. Uh, another time, um, we had a canine unit and a woman uh, from the police force coming in to do the beat. Uh, and the dog refused to come up the stairs. It just, it barked, it pulled, it howled, it nipped. It, it went a little nuts itself. Um, and so that really freaked her out and she put that in her report. So we've got different reports of writing things down, observation, and then we have oral history um, where people have told us, like just coming on tours or at, at public events, saying, oh yeah, I saw a lady in a bonnet or whatever sitting at the window. Yeah. And it's like, well, as you can see, I do not wear a bonnet. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, who is this lady? And the summer kitchen comes with a ghost story too. We actually have, um, you have to, we we come in through this door. Uh, Like we don't usually come into the front door because there's two bolts as well as the doorknob. So here we can actually use like a modern key to get in. Like these are modern from the 70s. And our custodial staff, we have to double check her name. I think it's Jennifer. Um, one of her very first days, one of her very first days, so like this is the worst first day ever, um, she comes in and as soon as she's in the summer kitchen, uh, the alarm goes off, so she has to turn it off, uh, but she hears singing and humming. But if the alarm's on, then there's no other people in the house because like the movement sensors would go off. So then who's humming and singing? So then she promptly puts the alarm back on and leaves. So from in this room, she heard humming and singing. She says she swears she heard it in the dining room. I found this um, on a YouTube channel, Britty44. Mm-hmm. One of the tour guides of the house tells a story of um, one day there was a tour coming into the home and there was only one tour guide there at the moment. Um, and she asked them to wait for a minute because she was busy um and usually now they only like they don't only have one person in the house anymore um they have multiple people but at the time it was just the one person um so the tour guide was waiting outside and then they another tour guide invited them into the home um and started giving them a tour and this tour guide was a woman dressed 
as the tour guides are, in like completely in white, a super pale figure, and she was showing them around the home, and she was very knowledgeable about no. the house. No, no, and no. the tour was like enjoying it, and like they were having a, a great time, no. and then the, the tour finished, um, and. <laughs> They, they were all going back downstairs and then the tour guide that was on duty ran into the group and they were and she was like oh my god where did you guys go i couldn't find you and they were like oh well we just went on the tour with the other uh tour guide lady um it, she was amazing and they kept praising her she was like incredible she did such a good job and thank you so much and the tour guide on duty was like i'm the only one here there is oh no other god. tour guide in this house right now no so everybody got super freaked out at that, of course. Um, the tour guide, uh, according to the story, had everybody stay behind with her while she closed up and they all left together so that nobody was alone in the house. Do you know when this and was? She didn't say. Okay. Um, but that's that's the story that she told on this YouTube channel, mm-hmm. uh, which is just... And I think, like, whether that story is true or not, mm-hmm. I think that kind of idea of Jemima being a very welcoming just wants to share the home and show people that... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's she's very timid in the way, and Adriana was is one of the people that go and show people around and stuff like that. And I'll let yeah. Adriana tell you uh, her experience here now. Uh, I made a trailer for our Halloween programming to try and give people an idea of what you're going to get. So I asked one of the... Um, the staff members to dress up as Jemima. We put her in a black dress and this big beautiful bonnet and we had her kind of like haunting in the corners and we were like following her and I pretended to be a civilian, right? Like any old visitor. And then like Jemima was lurking around the corner, right? Like I'm filming the girl doing it. And then the final shot, I was like, okay, we've kind of done like the spooky creeper kind of thing, but I kind of want her to have supernatural powers, like ghosts, like that poltergeist kind of thing. So I got the woman, her name is Sarah, to stand pretty much where you're standing right here. And I had the camera at the back here looking down and Jemima's standing, playing Jemima, right, Sarah? And I wanted her to flick her head and then the door slammed shut. So as if she can manipulate objects, right? So I have a camera go here. I am the poltergeist. Like I'm standing behind the door and I'm slamming the door, but you can't see me on camera, right? Ooh, magic of cameras. So Sarah does the flick. I slam the door and it bounces. And we're like, okay, well, we gotta do it again. Second time, uh, it's great, but Sarah starts laughing because she's really nervous. And it's like, okay, well, Jemima can't laugh at herself. <laughs> like, and she kind of jumps and it's like, she can't laugh and she can't be scared of her own powers. So we have to do a third time. Third time's the charm. They, get the, they call action, she flicks her head and the door slams. And you can see that in the trailer. But what they don't see is the fact that they turn off the camera and then Sarah and I are like, great, high five. And the girls that are doing the camera say, okay, great, I think that's fine, let's just move on. Okay. We go to open the door and the door won't open. The door is locked. Mm-hmm. We didn't lock it, obviously. We've been opening it this whole time. We've done it two or three times now already. So it won't open. And I start jiggling the lock. And I'm like, haha, guys, this isn't funny. Open the door. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're like getting the camera stuff. Will you come on? Let's go. We've got other things to do. Sarah starts having a panic attack. She's like, oh my God. Oh my God. Jemima doesn't like this. Jemima doesn't like this. 
and uh, and I'm just like starting to freak out myself, and I'm like, I can't open the door, and then sure enough, I'm doing this and this. Who am I now? I'm Jemima. I'm trying to get out of my room, banging on the door, trying to open the lock. I start having a panic attack. The girls on the other side realize this is not a joke. We're starting to freak out. And so Lauren, the historical interpreter that was also the camera lady, she comes over and she's like, what are you talking about? Opens the door like nothing. And I'm like, of course she did. That's John's side. He always has the key, but we don't because we're on Jemima's side. So I think Jemima was like, you know what? I don't like people pretending to be me. You want to be me? Fine. Here's what it's like to be me. And she locks us in. So then both Sarah and I are standing here looking at Lauren and Lauren's like, what are you talking about? And we're like, no. And she's like, let's go. (laughs) And we just kind of ran out. Um, So that I never saw anything, I never heard anything, but that door would not budge for me. And so I have my own ideas about what happened. I think Jemima did not like her having supernatural poltergeist powers because all of the reports of her are sitting at the window. Um, One of them is giving a tour, for goodness sakes, welcoming people into her home. Um, Another time of her just sitting with an artist in the summer kitchen as they painted. So I don't think she liked being portrayed in a, any kind of malicious manner. Mm-hmm. That's not her. So she gave me a little taste of her own medicine, pun intended. Yeah. Uh, and that is my ghost story here. Um, did you, do you want to say any personal experience? Did you feel anything while you were there? The start? only thing that I felt was how uncomfortable I felt on the property. Mm-hmm. When I walked into the normal, like, into the house on, like, the ground floor in their basement areas, it felt pretty fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I got upstairs and I got into her room that it felt much colder. And Adriana did say that it could be, like, the breeze because they have, like, drafts mm-hmm. in that goes into that room. House. It's an old house. Yeah. But it was... It was significantly colder than the other rooms, and it just, it didn't feel, it didn't feel bad or anything. It was just very heavy. It's hard to explain right. how, like, heavy the atmosphere kind of was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you really kind of felt her there. I know people say that's one of the things if people go into that room, like, they feel cold, they feel, like, prickling sensations in the back of their neck mm-hmm. and stuff like that. How much do you think that might be her, and how much do you think is people projecting onto the room, the legend? You really have to just kind of stand there and experience it. You Mm -hmm. can't... Some people might get these thoughts in their head because they hear stories of other people saying, Mm -hmm. and they're like, ooh, did I just, like, feel that cold breeze on my neck? Or was it me blowing on my own shoulder? (laughs) You know? Um, You really just kind of do that and feel the moment. But at that time, I was just listening to Adriana tell her story, and I focused on her mm-hmm. and it wasn't until um I was in the hallway taking pictures of her standing in the room like her that I felt very I felt a little bit like I was being watched mm-hmm. but not entirely like it doesn't didn't feel menacing or anything like no, that it didn't no. feel it was just like sh- 
there's someone there. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, about Mm -hmm. this particular story, because all of the stories that you hear about Jemima in that house, sitting at that window, it's all benevolent. Like, there's Mm -hmm. nothing vicious or, like, mean or angry about her spirit whatsoever. She just kind of seems to want to be there, sitting, looking She's at very the welcoming. She's like a welcoming, yeah. like, welcome to my home yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So. But they also had an apiary, which is one of the things I found in my research, which was like, I was like, oh my god, they had bees. <laughs> okay, cool. And I'm glad you said that because I have no idea what an apiary is. <laughs> <laughs> no, they like they had they had bees and presumably okay. a beekeeper unless one of them oh, one one of them okay. did the job. No, but they did nothing. Don Howard designed the stuff. He never built it himself. Yeah. So, but to just to go off on a little bit of a tangent, yeah. um, have you ever heard of the practice the telling of the bees? No. Okay. So this I I didn't look it up for this purpose so I don't have any of this information right in front of me and I really should have done it because as soon as I saw they had an apiary I was like oh that reminds me of telling of the bees which is a practice where um beekeepers would go out to their hives and tell the bees of any major event that happened in the lives of the people in the house that the apiary belonged to so if somebody died if somebody left for a long period of time or if somebody came back from being away you had to tell the bees (laughs) And it's like a tradition. And if someone dies in the house and the bees aren't put into mourning, if the if you don't don't go out and say, "Hey, so wait. Kenzie died," wait. then the bees will die off, or they stop producing honey, or they'll leave the hive for good. And it's like a curse, so you have to tell the bees everything. So like maybe nobody told the bees that Jemima died. So wait. So if they don't tell the bees, they go into sort of panic. That's so weird. It's like the person dies in their bed. They're like, oh, just real quick, I have to go inside. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, bees, what's up? Hey, I just gotta let you know. Uh, uh, Jemima died. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I doubt anyone did that because she's still there. It's a really interesting cultural thing, though. The telling of the bees. I've never though. heard of that. Highly recommend looking it up because it's just really cool. That's all I have to say right now. Do you have anything else to say? Uh, that's all I have. Oh, also, uh, just. So you guys know, in the description below are all of the sources for all of this information. So if you want to know anything else, you can look into it yourself. Um, anything that we didn't cover. Um, and also send us your questions if you have any, and we will kind of cover things that we missed in a mini episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess we're ending this then. I guess. I have not prepared myself for an ending, so I have no idea no. how to end this. Should we go tell the bees? Let me go outside right now. It's 9 p.m. Let's go search for the one bee that's awake right now. We gotta tell the bees that we're done. It's really important. We'll see you in the next episode. (laughs) Dead Men Don't Podcast is hosted by us, Adara and Kenzie. Original music has been provided by Ethan Reed. Find us on social media at deadmendontpod on Twitter, at deadmendontpodcast on Instagram, deadmendontpodcast on Facebook, and email us at deadmendontpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow our composer, Ethan, on Instagram at at Ethan A. Reed. Find all of these links and more in the description. Thanks for listening. <laughs>